White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 531. And so it begins. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. Hello and welcome to the White Rocket Babylon 5 Podcast. I'm Van Allen Plexico and I'm joined for this new series and we'll see what kind of series it's going to be. We'll talk about that tonight by my co-host, Andy Fix. Welcome aboard, Andy. Thanks, Van. I'm very excited to be here. Well, we're going to try something. We're starting out tonight, and this may run us for a year. It may run us more than a year. We'll see. But the plan is that you and I, with a a few occasional old regular co-hosts and guests, are going to try to review the entire freaking Babylon 5 series beginning to end. And maybe we'll even do some of the ancillary stuff, Crusade. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows what the future holds, right? But we're I'm gonna, down for it all. I, absolutely. I'm very, very excited because we are both old school, old time Babylon 5 fans. Is that not correct? That is absolutely correct. Been f- day one. I remember that the day the the gathering premiered on, I, I don't even remember what channel it was. It was syndication. Yes. So it was like midnight on a Saturday night somewhere, and I ran across it, and I thought it was awesome. Yes, yes. And um, I do too. I remember it was, yeah, early in 1993. I'll check the date in just a minute. But I know it was early in 1993 that the gathering, the pilot aired. And and I have lots to say about it, and I'm sure you do too. And we're going to, so tonight we're going to talk about the gathering, and we're going to talk about if we can squeeze them in. We're going to talk about midnight on the firing line and Soul Hunter. So we'll get in the gathering and the first two episodes. And I envision that going forward, We'll cover probably three to four episodes per show, and we'll probably do a show every two weeks. That's kind of our plan, right? And if there's a particularly big show, we might end up only doing one or two, right? Like when we get to the when we get to season three and four, I imagine there's going to be right. time we're going to not going to want to do, you know, fifteen minutes per episode. We're going to want to have a little more time. So, Ab- so absolutely. I think in season one, though, we're okay for the most part, squeezing in three or four. I think we can do yes. that, especially when we get to stuff like TKO. We can <laughs> zip right through that sucker in five minutes. But anyway, anyway right. <laughs> they all have their value, though. Every episode has something special about it. Even if it's like the C-plot, they all have something good. Um, so the, I think the first thing we need to do is let people know kind of who we are. So let me quickly run through. I'm, I'm Van Allen Plexico. If it, this, uh, this show is originally going to air in the White Rocket Entertainment regular podcast feed where we've done Game of Thrones in the past with John Ringer, where Alan Porter and I do James have done James Bond stuff. We've done racing shows. It's basically our catch-all podcast feed. Now, if this thing gets going and starts getting a lot of listeners and it gets big, I may go ahead and open up a brand new channel just for this show. But I think for right now, we'll just try it out. We'll put it in the White Rocket feed, and we'll kind of see what happens. Okay, so, um, and because I don't want to commit, you know, a lot of money to starting up a new channel, and then we go, ah, you know, I don't really want to do this after all. So we'll <laughs> we'll see how it goes. And after we have a few episodes in the in the bank, then we'll see if we want to do that. All right. So I am Van Allen Plexico. I am the owner, 
the uh, producer of the White Rocket Entertainment Network. And uh, we do this show. We do the Auburn AU Wishbone show we've been doing for 10 years now. Uh, and the White Rocket show. And, of course, also on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, the James Bond uh, podcast show with Alan Porter and others. And Jared Albrecht and a bunch of people. And um, so we're going to try to do Babylon 5. And um, my history with Babylon 5, like we said, goes back to the beginning. I remember in early 1993 watching The Gathering and thinking, uh, this is different, right? We're, we, were, we were weaned on Star Trek, on episodic shows where everything resets almost like The Simpsons at the end of every episode. You know, everything's back to normal. So the idea of the lingering mystery was so enticing. And, and I, for one, never had this sense. You know, JMS, Joe Straczynski, talks a lot about how he met a lot of resistance because a lot of fandom, a lot of the public, only wanted Star Trek-related TV shows and, and just couldn't fathom anything else. And I've never understood that because I'm like, the more the better, you know, as long as it's good. So um, that's how I started watching. And then, you know, I was, you know, about a year passed, as we'll talk about in a minute. And then the series actually started. And I was so excited that it was, it was being picked up as a series. So talk about how did you get involved? How did you start watching it? And, and what did it mean to you? Well, I was a big-time Star Trek fan, uh, starting with the original series. And, of course, the, the next generation came out um, late 80s. And I, I got hooked on that. Um, and I was like you. You know, I, I thought the coolest aspect of the show was the the continuing mystery um it it was entirely different from any other sci-fi show that was on tv at the time Uh, i mean if you look at it how many other shows that came out right between next generation and babylon 5 how many of them do we still talk about you know none i mean because they they just didn't capture the attention uh, the cool thing about Babylon 5 was it captured my attention. The very last line, or one of the last lines of the show, uh, and I'll talk about this later, uh, drew me in, and and I was just like you. I was excited, waiting for the series to start. And when you know I happened to see mention of you know the series starting, I was super excited to set my VCR and the whole nine yards. I was I was ready to go. Yeah, and it's funny because back then we're talking 1993 and then 94 for the actual series. Looking back there was nothing in the way of social media the way we have now. I'm thinking it's a miracle I knew about the pilot, and it's an even bigger miracle I even knew they were making a series. I, It really is surprising to me that I never missed an episode and that I was even aware of it. I, I don't remember now how that was. I wish I could remember. It's been a while, right? But I wish I could remember how it was that I knew. I guess I saw commercials on the syndicated channel for the pilot. But I don't remember how I knew that the actual series was starting in early 1994. Do you have any recollection of that? I do. I used to get, I, I was one of those weirdos that got a TV guide subscription because I loved reading TV guide. Cool. Um, that, that's an ancient tome that is no longer in existence that I know of, but yeah. And, and they had a little blurb about it. I forget if it was an ad or if it was an actual, um, an article. Cause they would do like the, the best, new series coming out or the the new sci-fi series coming out special article or something like that and it, that caught my attention um there you go <laughs> I, it, on video i am currently showing andy my copy of the tv guide that has babylon 5 on the cover the funniest thing by the way about this is this was announcing the fifth season and right. claudia christian's on the cover she yeah. the fifth. spoiler she wasn't right no, no. <laughs> 
No, so yeah, it was in TV Guide, and uh, for both the the pilot and for the um, for the regular series, because that was on Warner Brothers Primetime Entertainment Network, which was Pizza. totally syndicated. Mm-hmm. And and as I mentioned to Devan earlier, it Babylon Five showed on at, at midnight on Saturday night in, in my market. I mean, it just wasn't. You know, it, it wasn't a, a big deal at all. So I had to set my VCR and, the, and everything just to watch it. Oh, dude, that's part of my story is when it when I started watching, and I lived in Auburn, Alabama, when I was still going to graduate school at Auburn. And it was on, we were watching on like the Columbus, Georgia, probably, or Montgomery, I forget. One, we Being in Auburn, you kind of get half Montgomery, Alabama, and half Columbus, Georgia, because we're kind of in between. And I don't remember where it was, but when I moved to Atlanta, it was in season three. And it was like things were really getting tense. And I want to say something about spoilers in just a minute. But it was really, obviously, by season three, you know, you're like hanging on every episode. And Atlanta, the Atlanta station, and those of you, I'm sure I got plenty of listeners in Atlanta because of Dragon Con and everything. You guys know Atlanta showed, Atlanta station showed Babylon 5 on like Tuesdays at 3 a.m. I kid (laughs) you not. Like Tuesdays at 3 a.m. So what I used to do is I would set my VCR and go to bed. I had to teach a 7 a.m. joint enrollment class at high, at a high school in Atlanta, and then I had to drive to another one, and I'd end up at the third high school around noon, okay, for my third school I would teach at. I was like a roving teacher going to different high schools to teach advanced college classes. Okay, so I would record it at like 3 to 4. I would get up at 5 take a shower and everything, get the tape out of the VCR, drive to work, end up at the school where I was at noon. My students would be at lunch, and I would get there like 45 minutes before our class started. And I would, and they had a TV VCR in, the, in their classroom, <laughs> and I would watch the new episode in the classroom when there was nobody there. And every week, with like five minutes to go, They'd all come in from the lunchroom, and they're like, ah, oh, he's watching that show again. <laughs> and I'm like, shh, shut up, shut up. <laughs> I mean, we're That's talking, awesome. We're talking like the the big cliffhangers of season three, and they're walking in right. and I'm like, you all got to be quiet. <laughs> I'm putting you all on the tension. He won't shut up because this is huge. Right? They just laughed and laughed. But, um, yeah, it was it, – but that just shows it was such a challenge for us to be able to even watch the show. I, how did it right. get any ratings at all? You know, it just shows right. the dedication. And, and it had a, a, a rabid following, a small yep. but a rabid following. And, and how they built that was impressive. Oh, yeah. And a lot of it was guerrilla marketing by JMS on message boards and the early. Yep. Did you say you had some? I never had any of that. See, that was the one thing I never was really involved in. Did you have some connection to that through AOL or something you said? Yeah, he. he there was a Babylon Five chat board on AOL. This was '94, probably, maybe, maybe early '95, mm-hmm. and he would pop in there all the time because there was like you know a thousand people that that were on this chat board. You know, it was like not the fandom was nothing back then. So yeah, it was it was kind of cool and and got to know a bunch of really fine people and we had some great discussions about it. And a lot of that stuff, for those that don't know, a lot of that material is archived at the Lurker's Guide, which is at midwinter.com slash lurk. And I was just, I was saying a while ago, um, I can actually remember before the Lurker's Guide was at midwinter.com slash lurk, it actually started out at like a, like dscga.com or something, and then it moved <laughs> to midwinter. And I, I couldn't tell you what that stands for. 
but I remember that. So I feel like that's kind of like some of my bona fides, you know, that I'm that I've been around forever is that I remember when the Lurker's Guide was 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 another place. But the, a lot of JMS speaks, a lot of his quotes from those message boards are still preserved on those on the episode pages for that. Now, I want to talk real quick about spoilers. Obviously, you and I have seen the show many times, and we're and this is what's cool is that not only that we're both embarking on watching it again fresh now. So I've just watched the episodes we're going to talk about tonight for the first time in a while. Um, and so what I propose is I'm hoping we'll have some people listening that are just starting to watch the show along with us. So what I want to do is make the covenant with them and with you, Andy, that yep. we won't talk ahead. We'll talk about where we are that week, but we won't give away anything coming up. So new viewers that are just starting out We'll say up front what the episodes is that we're covering, and that's all we'll go. That's as far as we'll go, and they'll know how far that they have to be to listen. Does that work for you? That works for me. It's, it's going to be a challenge because of how <laughs> intertwined everything is. Uh, but I know. I, I, I think if it, with the episode fresh in our mind, you and I can can tell what not to talk about Yeah. Uh, pretty easily. So, yeah, that, that's cool. I, I totally appreciate that. That's cool. Okay. So that's kind of established. Um and as I said, we're going to have some guests. Part of that is because I started out doing a series similar to this uh, several years ago with Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist, and he had never seen the show at all. But we were just having trouble scheduling, and he does a lot of other shows, and of course I have my regular shows, and we just kind of quit doing it. And so I had a conversation with him the other day. I said, are you, are you willing to get in with Andy and me because we're going to do it? And we kind of settled that he would come in occasionally and give like that first-timers perspective. So I don't know how often it'll be, maybe once a month, every couple of months, whatever, I'll talk to him. But we may have Jared join us from time to time, and he certainly has a unique perspective, being Jared. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, we talked about... Oh, yeah. Did you ever play the Babylon 5 card game? I did not. I played I, I played the, the RPG when it first came out oh, way back when, but never got into the card game. I do have some of the RPG books, but I got them mainly just for material. I didn't. Uh, this was way before the encyclopedia came out. You know, I have right. some down here somewhere on my shelves. But um, but yeah, I never played the RPG, but I did play the card game quite a bit, and it is so fun. So if anybody ever is out in like a flea market and sees a giant crate of Babylon Five cards for like a penny a box or something, <laughs> get it. If you like the game, you're welcome. If you don't like the game, send it to me. I'll give you I'll give you your money back and I'll take them off your hands because I've got quite a lot of autograph cards I found in boxes. When the game kind of qu quit being played, you could go on eBay and get whole cases of them for like $5 a piece and I just bought truckloads yeah. full and I've got so many. I got a lot of autographed I got a lot of them autographed by the actors at at DragonCon, but I also have a lot of the ones that came autographed in the set. Um okay, so we, I guess a couple of couple of quick introduction things that we also have to do is is Joe Straczynski. Um, he had done. I, I just finished listening to the audiobook of his autobiography, Becoming Superman. And I let me just tell you, I held off on reading that for a couple of years because a I didn't like the title. I'm like, oh, he thinks he's becoming Superman. Oh, aren't aren't you big? And he can, you know. He can be kind of off-putting in person, and he he acknowledges that. But he I've met him you know at least once, and he's kind of can be off-putting. Um, but I finally heard so many good reviews of it that I got it on Audible and listened to it, and it is incredible. It is not just you know 
and then I created this show, and then I created that show. There, there is a certain amount of that. It's also a lot of his really gripping family history that is kind of more dramatic than most TV shows. So we can do an episode on that later on or whatever, but I just want to say, if you're interested in JMS and you want to know all about him, just pick up a copy of Becoming Superman, and believe me, you will have a newfound respect for him, for what he went through to get where he is. Um like one of the things that struck me was that, you know, all those years that we thought he was riding high, like he had Babylon 5, he'd have a show on Showtime or whatever, he'd have all the comics from Marvel, he had Midnight Nation, you know, he had Rising Stars, he had Spider-Man. In between those things, he was broke. Oh, he was way broke. Yeah. And, and he grew up very, very poor as well yes, when he was absolutely. younger. So, mm-hmm. yeah, his his story is amazing. Yes, yeah, so I recommend that book, and we might review it in depth when we have more time down the road. Uh, but there's a whole story about how the show got on TV. We can get into that at some point, too. But let's go ahead and talk about The Gathering now. Um, the um, the pilot, as we said, aired, and let me get the exact date real quick. Oh, it was March 3rd of 1993. Okay. Okay. So The, 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 um, the Gathering, which is a pilot episode, aired on uh, March 3rd and I guess uh, April 1st. Apparently it was in two parts in some locations. I thought I saw the whole thing at once. Did you see it in two parts? I, or all? No, I, I saw it all at once. Yeah, so yep. maybe they some markets aired it. Or maybe, you know what, maybe that's like the sci-fi channels. I don't know. These are weird dates. These are the dates that are on the Lurker's Guide, so I'm not sure. But in any case, I do know that it aired originally in early 1993. And it went a whole year because they weren't really sure about it. They wanted to see what they thought about it. And then they had went back and retooled a lot of it. So if all you've watched is The Gathering, a lot changes between The Gathering and the first actual episode. Plus, and this makes it even more confusing, the original version that, that P10, the Primetime Entertainment Network, this consortium of syndicated shows, the first episode, the first time when they produced it, it had a completely different soundtrack. The lighting was kind of different. It, it, it had Stuart Copeland from The Police did the music for it, so it had kind of a rock and roll right. pop beat, and it was slightly different. And then when it got on TNT with season five, they went back and re-edited, reproduced The Gathering. So The Gathering is a longer, it's like a, it's like a double-length episode. It's really a little movie. And the, the P10 version had the soundtrack done by Stuart Copeland, kind of a more rock, pop-oriented thing. TNT, when they picked the show up in the fifth season in 1997-98, they re-edited it, changed the music, brought in Christopher Frankie, who did the regular music for the series. And it's, it's kind of a different thing, and that's the version you still see out there usually, is the new TNT version. So let's talk about The Gathering, whichever version you want to talk about. Right. I think it makes a nice little almost standalone hour and a half sci-fi movie. So what do you, what do you think about The Gathering just in general? And then we can talk about specifics. The Gathering is is, is kind of hard, to, you know, to, to get your, your hands around because it, there's so much potential to the show, but it's so cheaply done. I mean, yeah. it, it it's just uh, from the from the sets to the, the the costuming, the costuming was atrocious. I mean, you you could tell that they were doing it on a dime. I mean, they they had to, they couldn't create any of the costumes for the show. They had to go and buy basically, you know, from J.C. Penney or something. I mean, they're all wearing the crew were wearing dockers and and dress shirts. I mean, it was it was it was pretty pathetic. So while I enjoyed the uh, the story of the show, watching it was kind of painful. But it was like I said earlier that that last scene of the show. 
where they kind of reveal the whole mystery is what you know grabbed me and made it made me able to forgive the difficulties of watching the show. But uh, on the other hand, there weren't a lot of other sci-fi shows out there, you know, that that could do what Star Trek Star Trek set the bar for all shows. I mean, Next Generation, they were a million five an episode. You know, this was back in the 80s and 90s. You know, there were a million five an episode. So that was a lot of money they were putting into that show. So comparing Babylon 5 to that, just, just from the, the very first episode, or from the pilot anyway, you know, it was better than most sci-fi that, that, that was out there. It wasn't Star Trek level, but it did have that potential to be something really special. I tell you, a lot of the I, I I cannot think of very many changes, at least the ones they made on purpose, that were not good ideas to change from the gathering. There, I think there's a lot of good in it, and I think I like it better every time I watch it because I guess every time I watch it, I'm a little more willing to forgive the the lesser parts, and I focus more on the strengths. But I think there's some good to it, and there's some not so good to it. And um, so, for example, I thought. I, I love Tamlin Tamita. I love the lady. Beautiful, great. You know, she's terrible. She, I mean, I, she's a fine actress <laughs> in some things, but she, you'd think she didn't know how to act. She's, she like, all of her dialogue is right. like she's reading it off of a cue card right in front of her. It's terrible. And so I was glad they switched her yeah. out. When you watch Midnight yeah. on the Firing Line, Claudia Christian is just so much better, so much better as, yeah. at, at just. Speaking the dialogue, I like Franklin better than Johnny Seca. I thought he's okay, but he's, again, kind of stiff. Yeah. And honestly, I like Talia better than Lita, although that kind of messed up their story for a while. But they kind of swap in and, well, 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 well. Uh, but, but, um, but you <laughs> yeah, know. That, yeah, come on, spoilers. Yeah, I know. Yes, you're right. It is hard. But if you've seen episode one and two after this that we're going to talk about in a minute, <laughs> you do know that Talia comes in, Lita goes out. And so that that becomes an issue. Whatever happens to Lita Alexander? That sounds like an episode that we never saw. Whatever happened to Lita Alexander? Right. Um, so I thought those were all good changes. And Delenn. Right. This was interesting. If you watch the gathering, Delenn is very lumpy looking. Okay. Then you watch Midnight on the Firing Line, and she's very feminine looking. She's still got the bald head and the bone, but she's much more feminine looking. If you watch the original P10 version of the gathering, not only is she lumpy looking. Her voice is even distorted. I felt so bad for Mira Furlan because she is like the Meryl Streep of Eastern (laughs) Europe. She is a great act. She was. She just passed away. Bless her. Um, But Mira Furlan was like the Meryl Streep of Eastern Europe, and they put her in completely covered up in makeup and changed her voice. Why would you bring in an actress of her caliber, even if she's not known in the U.S., and then do everything you can to obscure her? It could have been me <laughs> under there, you know. So one thing they did do in the TNT version was remove the distortion and changed her voice back to Mira Furlan, thank goodness. It should be noted that the uh, Minbari, at the end of the show, when he was talking to, to the commander, his voice was still distorted, even on the HBO Max version yeah. of it. So, yeah, the, the Minbari distortion, you can still hear that there, even though Delenn sounds, they, they removed the distortion of Delenn. Mm-hmm. That's true, and um, what I what I found interesting watching it today for the for the first time in a little while is that the way that Mira Furland does her line readings in the Gathering is totally different from how she reads them in the regular series, and I think it was because they had her be halting, right? So they could distort her voice, and it wouldn't all run together. She's very much more like 
like in the gathering, she's like, Commander Sinclair, where are you going? You know, like that. Whereas in the regular series, she sounds much more natural. Right. So <clears throat> I think that, tell me if this is wrong. My understanding is that JMS originally wanted her to be kind of an androgynous character at first. And then he decided, no, she's a female. Does that, have you ever heard that? Right. That No, yeah, that is absolutely correct. Yep, that is correct. But okay. as far as I've heard, that's correct. And so, he and it should also mind. be noted that this isn't the only. I mean, this is a pilot, you know. So yes. there's going to be a lot of changes. I mean, look at the original Star Trek pilot; completely different. There you go. From, from the series they had, so it's it's not for them to you know fine tool everything that that worked and didn't work from the uh, the pilot to the first episode. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Yeah. So yeah, we had those great mysteries of this episode, mainly centering around. You know, this is much more about the Earth-Minbari War, Jeffrey Sinclair, his missing 24 hours. There is a hole in your mind. I mean, that right there, right? When the Minbari said to him, there is a hole in your mind, I'm like, I'm in. I don't know where this is going, yep. but I'm in. Was that your reaction? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and that was, and that is also, you had mentioned you wanted to talk about the highs and the lows and the most yes. Babylon 5 of every episode. Yes. That one right there is, is the most Babylon 5 thing from that <laughs> whole episode. That, that, was, that was my pick for that. All right. That's yours. Yeah. That, I, and and that, that's what sold the show. Yes. I think you're right. I think you're right from the sense of getting people pulled in, knowing that there's something bigger going on than the surface and wanting to come back. But my pick for the most Babylon 5 scene was one that was a little more funny because you have to admit, over the years, it does have funny moments, too. And JMS was very good at using his characters for comedic effect. I thought the most Babylon 5 moment that was funny in this episode in a very awkward way was when Jakar presents Lita with the proposal to mate with him <laughs> and then immediately escalates from... Well, you know, we could clone or whatever, but wouldn't you rather just do it ourselves, you know? <laughs> and 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 then he and then while she's still kind of reacting to that, he's like, and you know, it, w when we do that, would you want to be conscious? Right. Or I, I'd rather you be conscious, but you know, hey, it's up to you. And I'm just like, I'm on the floor at that point. I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, <laughs> because that is so Babylon Five, right? They go there. Star Trek would never. Right. Have that conversation, right. <laughs> for better or worse. For better or worse, they wouldn't. I'm not saying that's necessarily a good thing, but yeah. All right. And, so and cool. that moment, that moment totally sold me on Jakar too. He was one of my favorite characters, and and that showed so much of his personality right there. It was it was perfect. That I'm glad you said that too. That is a good point because literally every other scene that he has in the Gathering, he's the overbearing villain. He's the stereotypical lizard guy right. villain. And you're just like, oh, he's the Klingon, right? Yep. I get it. But right. the Klingons didn't have scenes like that where he's talking about mating with the telepath. <laughs> they didn't do that. So it, it kind of showed that there was maybe going to be a little more to this. And, of course, I don't think this is a spoiler to let folks know. Be Understand, these characters are all going to change. They are not static. You are not watching an episodic show where the way characters are at, in The Gathering and in Midnight on the Firing Line is the way they are in Season 5. They, if there's one word, if there's one word besides, like, awesome that typifies this series, it is change. Everybody changes and evolves. And you, yeah, you, you think you know these characters after the first couple episodes. You do not. You do not. 
Uh, you get a sense maybe where they could go, <laughs> but you don't know where they're going to end up at all. Uh, but you better buckle up and get ready. Another another thing that drew me into the gathering and blew my mind was Kosh and the Vorlons. I just didn't know what to make of them, and that yes. was very exciting. What did you think about that? From the moment I first saw that ship of theirs, the, the Vorlon shuttle, and it was completely different from anything we've ever seen on, on sci-fi television before. And then the encounter suit. You could tell that probably 80% of the budget for the gathering went to that encounter suit um, <laughs> because it was just alien and different. And, and there was the Vorlons fascinated me from the moment you know we, we saw their technology. It was something else. And we really don't even hear them. We don't even hear Kosh, and it's going to be Kosh, saying anything hardly yet. We get a little bit of him soon, but I think the only... In fact, this is interesting... In the P10 version of the of the gathering, I don't know that he even says anything, or maybe he says uh, hello or something. But they changed it for the TNT version, and he says when he shakes hands with who he thinks is Sinclair, he says um, "Intil Zavalin." Now you may not know what that means yet, but just file that away, folks, because that may be it could be. It could be significant later. Just just file those little, <laughs> file those five syllables away, right? Uh, for what from from for later on. Um, we don't have the assistance right. yet. It, it always I always forget that we don't get the ambassadorial assistance until the first couple of episodes of the actual series. So there's no Lanier, there's no Veer, there's no whichever one of Jakar's assistants he hadn't fallen out of the airlock this week, you know. <laughs> Um, Natoth is the fame is the favorite, but there are others. So, um, yeah, it's a much more streamlined main cast in this episode. And I also thought it was interesting that right. the gathering leans very heavily on Garibaldi. And I thought Garibaldi was very likable. I, I, I tended to find Garibaldi more likable early on. What did you think about Garibaldi in the gathering? Garibaldi on the, in the gathering came across, I, I don't want to say buffoonish, but, um, hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It, it's it's it, he's hard to put your finger on um, because he he becomes more of an actual character. He's not you know the the comedy relief or or the the goofy guy or something like that. He you know he, his character grows so much. It, it's hard to compare Garibaldi in season three or four to Garibaldi in in the Gathering. Yeah, um, there's there are several that are that way. There are several that way, and again, we don't want right. to give them away. But that's again, that's a hallmark of the show. Um, Londo has giant freaking hair in the gathering. And my understanding was that when they were um, working on his makeup and his wig and everything, they didn't know what to do to, to make him look how they wanted him to look. And, and JMS saw like a wig that hadn't been cut into shape yet, just lying there spread out on a table. And he's like, why don't we just do that? So they just took the raw <laughs> wig and sprayed, you know, hairsprayed it to stand up, and that was why his hair just looks like a like a plant coming out of his head. And it in the you know in the regular series they've whittled it down to a more like Napoleon's hat kind of a shape, right. you know, which is you know, I think kind of right. signs importance. But um, but yeah, so so he he looks different too and he looks he looks he talking about buffinish i think londo looks very clownish he looks like he's wearing 3 dollar clothes a horrible wig you would have not looked at londo in the gathering and thought he was ever going to amount to anything but the jester basically but again no spoilers but keep an eye on londo but you know 
and I, I have to say the the actor Peter Jurassic, I believe his name is, yeah. um, is such a fantastic actor because he made Londo, especially that scene when he's talking to Garibaldi about the, how great the that the um, his empire used to be and how yeah. you know important he used to be and all that. Mm-hmm. He his performance in in that whole episode, but especially in that scene, made you realize that you know there is more to this guy. There's more to this this character. Yeah than just the, the, the clown in the $3 suits with the fun, funky hair. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. He sells it. If he was any less of an actor, that character would have been a disaster and they would have removed him from the show. But Peter Jurisic just absolutely right. nails it. And you're like, whoa, this guy has more... Go- you, oh, he's just a drunk guy gambling. Oh, no. <laughs> There's a lot more going on there. And he gets very interesting as we go along. So keep an eye on him. Uh, let's see. They redesigned the uniforms after the, the gathering. And we'll talk about that. I don't know if I like... I actually... They just basically put a leather asymmetrical stripe down the side. I have issues with the costume designer for the entire series. I don't know that I love her. Uh, but we can talk about that. One thing I wanted to mention, JMS brought in Richard Compton, I believe, to direct this epi- to direct the gathering, and he did it basically on reputation as a TV director that could get things done. JMS to this day still rails about the horrible job Compton did directing this. And they even went back in editing and tried to <laughs> fix a lot of the stuff. If you watch it, it's so dark. The scenes are so dark. It is like, very dark. Oh, compared to the regular series, it's it's almost like Compton knew the sets were cheap and tried to cover them up as much as he could. Is that the impression that you get? Absolutely. He he tried to cover a lot of the the failings of the budget from the uniforms to the sets to everything. I I I can't blame him for it because they you know they were doing it on such a tight budget and everything was so basic. Yeah, and I always point out. This is a show that was filmed in a in a uh, a former hot tub factory off of a freeway exit in Los Angeles, and a lot of the guest stars are right. soap opera actors that needed an extra hour's work that week. So they, I always say, the budget of this show was about a buck seventy five an episode, and yet it's like the old Doctor Who. <laughs> it's story that that triumphs overall, you know, you can spend a buck 75 on it, but if the scripts are good and for the most part, they're brilliant, you can, you know, you can get by on a, 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 where, a, a hot tub factory right. in a, you know, in, in LA. So, uh, and, and, and we got to talk about the effects real quick. No show had ever been done where all of the special effects were done on computer on CGI. This was the first, everybody still used models for a lot of the effects. They couldn't afford to do that. JMS said the only way we're going to be able to do this show is to do all the effects on the computer, and they got these Amiga video toaster computers linked together, and it would take literally days to render scenes of spaceships. This is this is how you know yep. how long it took to do the scenes. Straczynski would have to write episodes that didn't have any special effects shots and spe- pepper them in between so they'd have an extra week to for the Amiga video toaster to finish doing Kosh's ship opening up or something. I mean, it was <laughs> slow, man. It was slow. Yeah. Um, and, and that said, yeah, they were com- those effects were completely different from anything that had been seen on sci-fi yeah. shows before. Even Star Trek, with their million five budget, would never think of doing some of the the shots that that they pulled off on on uh, Babylon Five. Uh, I mean, even during the the you know the the gathering. I mean, they had not a whole lot going on outside, but still the angles that the ships came in, the way that they flew around, and 
cautious ship, the way that the colors were vibrant and, and ever changing and, and just everything that they, they did, even the, even it, as you were watching it, you could say, you know, this looks like something from Tron in the, the early eighties. Oh, yeah. It was still, it, you, your, your brain kind of skipped over that and said, Hey, this is really pretty, pretty cool. And especially in the early first or second seasons when the effects were still pretty raw, I thought they were very smart about using those exterior shots sparsely. You might get the station, you might get a ship approaching it coming out of the jump gate, but you never got like a, at least in the first couple of seasons, you very rarely got like a bunch of ships all in different directions on the screen at the same time. Later on, they did that as they got a little more sophisticated, right. probably better computers, I don't know, had more time, more money. But yeah, I thought that, but you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't have wanted a lot of the airtime to be that stuff. Just glimpses, just like setting the stage, and then you get to a, you cut to an interior shot again. I thought that was very smart. Right. So let's see. We talked about talked about most of the things about the gathering. Um, so basically, the gathering ends up being um, a story about a, a Minbari that uses a changeling net to uh, infiltrate the station to try to kill Kosh and pin the blame on Jeffrey Sinclair, the commander. Um, that's pretty much the entire plot. Everything else is just introducing everybody. So, I, th- I mean, right. any, any, what, what's kind of your judgment? And it, we didn't do high point and low point, but what's kind of your final judgment on the gathering? What's its high point? What's its low point for you? High point for me was uh, the scene with Sheridan and... Uh, Sinclair. Uh, Delenn in the garden. It was so quintessentially Babylon. Yeah, Sinclair. Sorry, um, it was so uh, quintessentially Babylon Five. I mean, Babylon Five has so much to do with the 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 action going on all around, but it's the quiet moments in between mm-hmm. that really build the show and build the the, the world and build. It, it, I mean, there's a lot of spirituality in the show, and that kind of introduced. And I thought that scene was really cool. That was my high my high moment for for that. Yeah. Uh, the low moment, oh boy, <laughs> probably the costumes. I would say um, that they, they were just so atrocious, but. Uh, yeah. How about you? What, what was your highs and lows? I think that um, my low point is basically any scene that poor Tamlin Tamita is in. Again, I love her. No disrespect, but she just she drags down every scene she's in. It's unbelievable. I just can't believe that they even cast her. How did they get through a, a reading with her and think, yes, she can do this? Because she couldn't do it. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but the high point, gosh, there's several, but... Uh, and we got to talk about Sinclair since you mentioned him for just a second. But I think my high point for this episode, um, probably when we realize that there is more going on, that Sinclair was at the Battle of the Line and there was a war with the Minbari and they surrendered on the brink of winning. And I'm like, right. what? I've got to know more about this. And so it was that that just made the hair stand up on the back of my hands, you know, everything. And I'm just like, I've got to know more about this. Because that took it from Star Trek-type episodic TV to, like, we're reading um, a giant novel, like a like a big, you know, Frank Herbert or Larry Niven-type novel. And that got me excited. I'm like, I can look past the costumes. I can look past Hamlin Tamita. There's stuff going on here. That was very exciting. Now, I want to ask you about Sinclair, because we're going to be talking about him for the next few episodes. Um, what did you think about Michael O'Hare as the leading man in this show when you first saw it? You know, when I first saw it, I wasn't terribly impressed with him. I thought he was stiff. Yep. 
um, and his the, the way that he he enunciated stuff like that, it kind of bothered me a little bit. I, I thought he was a wooden actor. Mm-hmm. Watching The Gathering again just recently, now I don't know if it's because I have more information about Michael Sinclair or about uh, Michael the Harris. person, yes. the actor, but I, knowing that he was a stage actor, yeah, knowing that he was a stage actor, I can see now why he came across the way he did and how he is a much better actor than what I originally thought and what he's often often uh, given credit for. I think that's a good point. I do. I, I agree with you. I did not like him at first. I looked when I, The first time I watched it with a friend of mine, I looked at her and I said, he's a game show host. He needs to be hosting a game show. He needs to be standing up there with a microphone and going, all right, and next, you know, here, bring on out the next contest. He needs to be doing that. But yeah, over time, I, he grew on me, and there's an episode later on which I can't talk about right now, where he really impressed me. And I looked, I kind of reevaluated everything I knew about him. And then, of course, later on, you find about his, his health problems that he was dealing with during the show. And then you kind of reevaluate right. it yet again. And so, you know, um, but that being said, um, there will be more to talk about along those lines as we go ahead. I think most people know that at, at some point the lead changes. I don't think that's a spoiler anymore, this 30 years on, that the lead changes. And so... Uh, because of O'Hare's <laughs> O'Hare's health problems, so we can talk about that when we get to the end of season one. Okay, um, I, but I was curious. I do want to say, you know, let me say real quick that that uh, that beep beep scene at the end of the <laughs> the um, the gathering where he's talking to Jakar, I thought I thought he did a, a fantastic job there. I, I, he came across as as uh, very devious, and I, I really I, I I enjoyed that scene quite a bit when I was watching rewatching it just just recently. 100% agree. Beep, 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 beep. What is this yeah. Earth people's humor? Beep, beep. Oh, who can figure them out? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I, that was great. I, yeah. When when O'Hare was on his game as Sinclair, I thought he was very, very good. Yeah, and, and he he did have yeah. the, the charisma, the gravitas, that if you could get past him being a good game show host type person, then, yeah, he did make a good commander. I could see him as a commander better than almost any other character on the show. So with that with that kind of persona, I guess. So, All right, we're going to talk very quickly about 101 and 102. There are just a few things to hit on, I think, in those two episodes, and certainly if Andy has lots, we can do that too. But first, got to thank the folks who keep these shows on the air. All of the White Rocket Entertainment Network shows, we do not do advertising. We don't take any advertising money, but we have lots of bills to pay to get these shows out to you, and we do it by all of our great supporters via Patreon.com. If you want to join the family and help us keep these shows going, then just go to www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com. And click on the Become a Patron button. Or you can just go to Patreon.com and search for Plexico or White Rocket. It'll it both bring you me. And just click on the button, and for as little as a dollar a month, you can join the fun and help keep our programs going. And we thank on every episode of every White Rocket show, we thank the folks who are our current patrons. They include, and i got to take a deep breath, uh, Andy, because we have a list. So here we go. We have to thank, and I'm going to swallow so I can do this, Chris and Clinton Stewart, Car- uh, Carl Von Drucker, Christopher Burleson, Samuel Salvatore, Bart Lindsay, Bradley Blackman, Chris Usher, Gary Grant, Phil Amthor, Richard Stevens, Steve Trawick, Susan Trawick, Tom Anderson, Trombone Tiger, Willie Carden, Ann Kangian, A.U. Falling Up, Ben Bloodworth, 
Clay Henson, Dan Thompson, Daniel Odom, David Evers, David Hegler, Emmanuel Seaman, George Gaston, Jacob and Robin Fleming, James Greenwell, Joel Beckham, John Otsuki, Catherine England, Kevin Smith, Mickey B, Phil Davis, Preston Settle, Reynolds Wolf, Rich Reimer, Steve Harlan, Timothy, WDE Richie, Wes Atkinson, William Morgan, Wilson Beard, Winston Body, Alex Nguyen, Blake Heron, Boris the Tiger, Kato the Barner, Chris the Hilton, which is the funniest thing now that Chris has changed his name to that. You just are awesome. Colby Butler. All right, a few more, but the internet's being slow tonight. Danny Flack, Darius Benton, David Simpson, Di Bama, and they sure did. Earl Ricks, Eric Mahan, Hugh Anderson, Josh Teal, Kevin Canoy, Kevin Mahan, Christian Thorvaldson, Lane Middleton, Melissa Blackstone, Mike Finley, Algorithm, Papa Todd, Patrick Williams, Randall Walker, Rob Morgan, Ross, Russell Milling, Sarah Hines, Sasquatch, Shane Bailey, Shannon Butson, Snow Dog, Stephen Houston, Tim Pittman, Tony Perry, 76 Tiger, Auburn Elvis, Ben Amos, Brandon Smith, Chris Como, Darren Pyle, David Smiley. We're almost to the end. Donnie Reynolds, James Taylor, Jason the Weasel Skull Albrecht, John Stubbs, John Zavachin, Joey Miller, Joseph Eiliff, Justin Bean, Kathy Bright. Welcome aboard, Kathy, to another show. Kenneth Brent Rains, Mark Squire, Matthew Flowers, Mick Vigicana, Paul Bankson, and finally, public landowner, Robert Drain, Russell Souther, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, the awesome Spanky, Stephen Thompson, Trevor Johnson, Weagle87, Brant Rumble, Chris, plus our one-time and anonymous donors. We thank you all. You guys are what keep this show going. Go to www.b5review.com or go to patreon.com and become a patron today. Thank you. Now, Andy, we want to talk about Midnight on the Firing Line and Soul Hunter and get that in here in a, in a few minutes. I don't think it'll take us too terribly long. But I have to say, the very first scene of the first episode now is a revelation to me in two ways, good and bad. Claudia Christian comes out, and it's just like, hey, we have a second-in-command that sounds like an actual character and not somebody reading lines. That was massive upgrade. Claudia Christian's awesome. Then we actually have, in the very first scene on Babylon 5 of the very first episode, regular episode, as... If you'll notice, this just I can't look, I can't I can't unsee it now that I realize it. As Garibaldi is about to speak to Susan in the very first scene, uh, an alien walks in front of him and he has to stop and wait for the person to get out in front of the camera and then start over. And I'm like, how do you not re- refilm that scene? <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? It drives me crazy. Right. Oh God. All right. So. Midnight, you, you take this one. Midnight on the firing line. What, what are your thoughts and what do you want to say about it? What do you want to talk about it? it I thought it was a really great introduction to the, the what one would assume would be the overarching uh, storyline of the series, uh, the, the uh, Narn versus the Minbari and setting up the, the Narn as the evil race that's looking, you know, the, the, like you said, the Klingons. Yeah. Um, so when, when the Narn attack the, the space station, opening scene, that and this was of the first, First episode of the series now. So the opening scene, you get this space battle with these really cool-looking Narn ships. I mean, again, something you've never seen before on you know on sci-fi television, coming out of a jump gate, blowing the, the crap out of the um, the Minbari, and it was just uh, spectacular. And that really grabbed my attention and, and put me in my seat, and I was ready to watch it. So I, I think it and it goes from there. There's a lot of Babylon Five-ness to it. There's a lot of political intrigue. Uh, there's some action. There's some great interaction between Jakar and uh, um, Malari. Mm-hmm. Just some fantastic stuff that sets up, you know, uh, uh, 
the whole se- the whole series basically. I mean it it was a it was a great beginning. I thought I really enjoyed this episode. Yeah, me too. I think uh, that's exactly right. Is it's it's really wanting you to understand the the Narn Centauri conflict is going to be one of the main backbones of the show for a while. And so I don't think that's any secret. Uh, they made it somewhat clear in the pilot in the gathering, and then here they kind of pick up on it and say, "Look." It's, it's heating up again, and man, if anything should happen to throw a little extra fuel on that fire, right, bad things could happen for the whole galaxy. So just, you know, that's, that's kind of where we are is like, oh, a brush fire has started. I hope nobody shows up with a gallon of jet fuel. Oh, no, look, somebody with a gallon <laughs> of jet fuel. So, yeah, we know that's coming. So, um, I, you know, beyond that, honestly, I don't have a whole lot to say about this one. Um, it, it was a good first episode, a good introduction, a little clumsy still, but we meet some of the, we meet Veer. Um, we, I, I don't yep. think we met, we don't meet Lanier in this episode. It didn't hit the next one that Lanier shows up because it's a more of a, it's more of a Mimbari oriented one with Delenn, right? Because the Soul Hunter. Uh, Lanier comes a, a few episodes down. Okay. He, I don't, I, I don't remember him being in Soul Hunter. Okay. All right. Yeah. They, they do kind of spread them out. I was thinking they kind of drop them all at once, but yeah, but definitely this is where you get veer. And of course, Stephen first always tells that, told that great story about how he was, uh, um, tr- you know, casting and he like put soap in his hair or something to try to make it stand up before his, before his audition. And that was pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah. What about, um, and again, I, let me, let me quickly, I want to see, um, one thing very quickly, which is that um, I can edit this out. <laughs> ah. <laughs> oh, okay. So you do have okay. You have a. I, I thought I remembered this. That you have a Garibaldi and Londo. That's one thing I want to talk about. Was that early on you get a lot of in the pilot and in this you get a lot of Garibaldi and Londo together, and th- that always seemed like an odd combination to me. But it's like. Londo needed to be able to talk to somebody in the human cast. And I guess Garibaldi is the only one that it really made sense he would just talk to, right? Because he's not going to talk to Ivanova. She wouldn't have the time of day for him. And he's not going to, like, hang out with the commander because the commander would actually expect him to do his job. And Londo wasn't going to do his job. He's going to go gamble. So I guess that and the doctor didn't really make sense. So it, it made sense that the same, you know, that the security chief would be the you know, the, with his personal issues would be the one Londo would kind of latch onto. What did you make of their relationship? You know, I love their relationship. I think it speaks more to uh, Garibaldi's character because it does show him being kind of outside the, the, the lines of what you would expect a normal cop to be a normal security guy to be. Um, He seems more of the, the shadier type, the, the kind of that, is he on the take? Is he not on the take? You know, you don't, you don't know about his character so much. I think this really sets up um, his character spectacularly, and and it, to me, they seem like a natural pairing because uh, um, they're both kind of goof, goofy type guys at first, and kind of shady type guys at first. I think them hooking up in the uh, in the casino is is a natural fit for both of them. Yeah, I think so. I think it's interesting. Also, there's a really couple of good exchanges in this one with Londo and Jakar that I think first give us the sense that they're really going to be something. They really crackle. 
They have such chemistry. Lonjo and Jakar have such chemistry. You you wouldn't have gotten that from the gathering. I don't think they were together that much in the gathering, really. I mean, Jakar is right. yeah. He's with he's with Delin in a big scene. He's with uh, Sinclair in a couple of big scenes, but you never see that direct knocking heads. This is the episode where you realize that the Narn and the and the Centauri are like mortal enemies and and seriously still hating each other and there's um there's a great line from from uh, Londo where he says on the issue of galactic peace I am long past innocence and fast approaching apathy it's all a game a paper fantasy of names and borders only one thing matters blood calls out for blood cuz his nephew or whatever had been had been killed. And then Jakar says, your time has come and gone. It's our turn now. One night you'll wake up and find our teeth at your throat. And uh, he's, he also has that great line. He says, I confess I look forward to the day we have cleansed the universe of the Centauri and carved their bones into flutes for Narn children. It's a dream I have. So yeah, they don't leave a lot of ambiguity <laughs> about their um, about their relationship. Anything else? Oh, and we do know what we find out about Spoo, which is going to be something that pops occasionally. That's the favorite uh, dish, I believe, of the Centauri and the Narn. They just prepare it differently and think each other's crazy for the way they prepare it. Um, and then there's an, also a great line from Kosh. All the big shots get a big line in this episode where Kosh says, They are alone. They are a dying people. We should let them pass. And Sinclair says, who? The Narn, the Centauri. And Kosh says, Andy? I, I forget. He says, yes. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yes. I, put you on I knew the spot. it was something like that. I, I, did, I didn't want to say the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he says yes, meaning both of them. And, and basically, at that point, it means right. that the, 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 the Vorlons have passed judgment on both of them, and their judgment is don't care, not interested anymore. Let, right. them, let, them, let them fight, let them die. Who cares? Um, uh, let's see, JMS talks about it. Um, he says, it was our initial hope and my initial belief that we'd go straight into the series as soon as we finished the pilot. But the studio and its infinite wisdom decided they had a pilot. It kind of behooved them to air it and get the ratings before committing to a series. So we then waited till February for the airing. So it was February. Got the go-ahead for production in April and May. Began shooting in July. Got a bunch of episodes in the can and now hitting the air. So that's a little bit less than a year later. All right, any other thoughts about Midnight on the Firing Line? Again, it's just kind of an introduction and a Narn Centauri hate each other episode, pretty much. Right. I, I only want to mention that the actors they had for both Jakar and, again, Londo Malari, they completely sunk their teeth into the, their roles in, in this episode. Yes. And it really set the tone for the whole series. And I, I thought those two were absolutely fantastic. Like you said, they, they, the chemistry the actors had together, and they just oh. sizzled when they're on, on the, the screen together. It was, it was phenomenal. It was fun to watch. I mean, I think... And that, totally believable, too. I mean, yes. neither one of them came off as, as a cartoon. No. I, and, and Which is particularly interesting because the gathering sets up that Jakar is the, the, the stereotypical Klingon who's going to yell about everything. He's very shouty. You know, Jakar is very shouty in the gathering, right. but he kind of gets his act together a little bit now and changes his personality. Um, and so he's kind of in the gathering. We get the sense, oh, Jakar is the token, stereotypical Klingon, yelly, shouty guy, and Londo is the clown. But now we're starting to see 
Londo a little more sober, a little more serious, and Jakar a little less histrionic, a little more serious. And what we first took for crazy histrionics from Jakar and total apathy from Londo, they start meeting in the middle as two people with a whole lot of history behind them that really don't like each other. And yet at the same time, you get the sense if you took all their baggage away, they actually would probably hang out all the time. That's the that's right. the weird chemistry, right, between them. You get the sense that they'd be like best buddies if they didn't have to hate each other. And that's the brilliance of the writing is there is no clear bad guy and clear good guy in this. There's no Klingons in Federation. There is just Babylon 5, and it's all very gray and very just uh, amb- ambiguous as far as the morals. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's, that's the brilliance of the writing. And, and one of the things that really gets interesting as you go along, again, not really a spoiler, just kind of a direction to be watching for, is that in every other science fiction show, pretty much, if there are aliens and whatever, the humans, by and large, are the good guys. And one of the things that I adore about Babylon 5 is that if you listed all the different races of beings on Babylon 5, from, like, goodness to evilness... Honestly, Earth and the humans would be closer to the bottom of that list than the top. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) We're like bad guys, by and large. There's good ones among us. Babylon 5 just happens to be kind of a nexus for the good humans. But man, when you look at the entire human race in Babylon 5, oh man, I, you know... We're, we're not the good guys. <laughs> we're barely the good guys in this story, and then only because of individuals. That is an important right. theme, I think, that runs through it. You know, JMS always talks about it, about the power of the individual to change the galaxy, to change the world, to change the universe. And the, one of the real themes that emerges is humans as a group on there are pretty crap, but there are individuals that rise above that and do good things. Even even individuals who are failures yes. rise up and do great things. Ah, oh, even for people like us. Oh, what a great... Yes, that's absolutely right. <laughs> that's absolutely right. Uh, you may hear that line again at some point. Um, okay, so let's quickly look at Soul Hunter. I like this one a lot because The Gathering was kind of a big space opera with a action intrigue plot. And then Midnight on the Firing Line was like space opera and what it's like for the people that are having to be in this station dealing with it on a personal level. But this one goes a very different direction. This is almost like a supernatural. This, I think that the importance of this episode is that it shows that there's more going on in the Babylon 5 universe than just space wars. Not that there's anything wrong with space wars. Right. But there's a, like you said, there's a spiritual level to it. There's almost a supernatural fantasy element to it. And you're going to get more stuff like that as the show goes along. So what did you think about Soul Hunter? I thought, along the same lines as what you thought, um, it, the spirituality was very powerful in this one. And, and, it go, and um, JMS is a, a very uh, old-school science fiction fan, so he knows the, the whole bit about anything that any technology advanced enough will appear as magic. And he incorporates a lot of that into, into the series. And this was the first introduction of it. And it's, they introduced the doctor who is one of, one of my favorite characters. Um, and he, he plays the skeptic. He plays the, the, uh, uh, the Scully from X-Files on this, you know, he doesn't believe in any of the spiritual nonsense, but there's, there could be a scientific explanation behind it. We just don't understand it. I thought that was really cool how they incorporated that. Um, I thought the both of the actors for the Soul Hunters were, were really good. They they came across as 
as alien enough, you know, that they were different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really enjoyed the episode. It, it had it showed more of it introduced a, a new aspect of Delenn being part of the Great Council, which I thought you know that was another little hook that that kind of draws you in a little bit. Um, so yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed this episode as well. That's funny you mentioned the Great Council. Oh, a- I, I do have to mention. Mm-hmm. Let, let me mention real quick the uh, the the bit when the um, uh, the commander goes out there in a Star Fury to stop the tumbling spaceship at the very beginning. Yes, that is something that could never have been done without those computers. And I thought it was, it looked a little clumsy, you know, watching it now, 30 years later, 25 years later, but it was back then it was like, holy cow, you know, the physics were there and it it was just really cool the way they did that. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and the star furies, uh, those fighters, they've been so appreciated. NASA likes them, you know, and, and they are, uh, they're more close to reality than most spaceships you get in TV and movies and stuff. So absolutely. But, um, right. yeah, we do, you know, as, as interesting as the Soul Hunters were in this episode, it's kind of amazing to say that we don't see, we, we do, we will see them again. So, you know, they, they will show up again, but not as much as I would have expected. There are a lot of little groups in Babylon 5, and you'll see many more of them as the show goes along, that show up. And then I'm like, oh, I hope we see them again. And you, you sometimes you do, and sometimes you don't. So JMS was really good at coming up with different little offbeat groups, like organizations, aliens, groups, bringing them on, letting them do their kind of thing. And then, you know, off they go in the sunset. They were just there for that one story. So fortunately, you will, right. you will see them again. Um, yeah, so there was a lot of interesting stuff going on in terms of we find out a little bit more about uh, about Delenn. Oh, the Great Council. Yeah, in the gathering, Delenn says, remember, Jakar mentioned the Great Council to her, and she, as much as Delenn ever loses it, Delenn goes and gets that ring out of the cabinet and starts, like, yep. crushing Jakar, you know, and saying, if you ever, basically, she says, if you ever mention the Great Council again in front of me, that's it. That's your butt, you know. And so Shakar, he gets kind of done wrong twice in that in the in the gathering. She she beats him down, and then Sinclair beep beep, as you said, you know, puts the puts the psychological fear on him. So Shakar was kind of the whipping boy of the gathering. Not that he didn't deserve it, but I like that now we start to see that that everybody's got layers to them. It's there's not a black and white villain and hero to this. Everybody's got layers. So uh, what else do we need to say about? Um, about Soul Hunter, all oh, beside the fact that he was very creepy, I thought the actor was awesome in being very creepy. He was. I thought. I thought he did a great job of of getting the creepiness across. I mean, again, they were dealing with the, the tight budget, so they couldn't make their aliens too alien. Although I will point out that they they introduced the uh, the underworld, the gangster leader, who was the uh, the insect the insectoid. Puppet. I mean, I thought that was really cool. Oh, yeah, I, love I, I thought I love that I love character was was wonderful. Um, he didn't stick around too much longer. I guess that they were having problems with the the puppetry behind him. But uh, I thought that introduced a really interesting uh, the the underworld of, of Babylon Five. I thought that was an interesting aspect that I wasn't expecting. I love. I'd forgotten that. Yeah, that we saw uh, Nagrath because I. He one of the Babylon Five card game cards is Nagrath, and he lets you do some little trick. And I always tried to find a way to get Nagrath into my onto my <laughs> playing field for the for the game. But uh, he also pops up, I think, in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV Does show. He? Yeah, the same the same animatronic thing. Yeah, but they put him in there with the fog and all. And uh, I like the idea of a very non humanoid alien doing stuff on the station. 
They might yeah. have just. I think he was like a bridge too far, though. You know, he was just a little too complicated and couldn't seem very realistic. But I right. still like him. And the picture of him on the card is cute because it looks more cartoonish than like a big scary uh, praying mantis thing. <laughs> I was trying to. I was trying to remember the name of the actor that plays. Um, oh, Morgan Shepherd. Yeah, Morgan Shepherd plays Soul Hunter number right. one. And I thought he did a really, really good job. So, uh, so that was interesting. I, I, the, the other thing I think that comes out of this episode is the is the whole idea of souls, and that the Minbari one hundred percent believe in souls, and and that they think some very interesting things about souls are going on. I love the right. idea that when their great leader was dying, they piled up bodies to keep the soul hunters from coming and getting, because they want, was it Ducat? Yeah, I believe it was Ducat. Yep. They they wanted Ducat's soul in a glass ball so bad they couldn't stand it. And, they, and in fact, the soul hunters' perspective is if you stop them from catching the soul, you're letting it just dissolve. So what it really comes down to is the soul hunters say you need to preserve the souls, but to do so, you imprison them. And the Minbari position is you just let them go, and if they go away, they go away, but better to let them be free. And there's that great scene at the end where Delin is just letting all the souls go. The Minbari believe that the souls come back. They are reincarnated and become yes. the new Minbari generation. Yeah. So for them, it's almost like genocide for them to be stealing those souls. That's why, And that's why Delenn letting them all go there at the end was so powerful. And she had that look on her eyes like it's Christmas morning almost. You know, she's so excited. Right. So, yeah, that was powerful. All right, any other thoughts about Soul Hunter? Or uh, did we want to do like a, um, I guess we could combine them if you want, with a high point or a low point and a most Babylon 5 scene from, from either one of or both of these episodes? What do you think? Uh, the high point for me for, for both of these was the, uh, the, the Narn attack at the beginning of the, the uh, first episode. I thought that was really cool. And it really, it really grabbed my attention. Uh, the most Babylon Five part was the probably the um, the Soul Hunter mentioning Delenn was part of the Great Council because that just that just pushed forward the the mystery again. You know, it it, it kind of dragged you along a little bit more. Low points, I you know I I can't really think of any uh, nothing really a low point stuck out. I thought both these episodes were pretty solid. They're using you. They're using you. I love it. It keeps. It's like everybody keeps telling, every guest star keeps telling Sinclair something's going on, and he's like, "Why do all the guests? Why do all the guest stars keep telling me that something weird's going on?" You know, <laughs> I love it. I think that right. the, the low point for me of the first two episodes is the very first are the very first two scenes of Midnight on the Firing Line because there's two things that just absolutely drive me crazy. One I already mentioned is when the actor walks in front of Garibaldi as he's about to speak. That <laughs> throws me completely out of the scene. But even before that, JMS has a habit of writing dialogue when people are talking over communicators the way they're heard over a bad connection, but we're not hearing them over a bad connection. We're right there in the room with them. <laughs> So he has the guy right. say, opening now, looking, you know, he's like, I don't forget the exact words, but just speaking complete sentences, man, we're right here. But he speaks like he's being heard <laughs> over a radio, like something happening, looking, you know, and he's like, oh, so, and he's like sitting at a little table. Again, the, the, the dreaded $1.75 budget strikes. And so the Centauri base is like a guy sitting at a desk smaller than the one I'm at right now. Okay. Right. But that's okay. It's it's charming, we can say, right? And it, and it gets better. <laughs> it gets better. 
Uh, I think that probably the high point, God, for me, again, the high point of these episodes is more clues that there's something big going on involving the Earthman Bari. And honestly, for the first season, again, I don't think it's any spoiler to say, for the first season, a lot of the attention is on that Earthman Bari uh, war, what happened, and why are there 24 hours missing from, from Jeffrey Sinclair's mind. Um, and then I guess the most Babylon 5 moment is uh, is is maybe Veer showing up and being Veer, which is so Babylon Five because he's basically Woody Allen in space, and <laughs> and uh, and then uh, in the Soul in Soul Hunter, I think maybe I just love um, Delin sitting there letting the souls loose like she's throwing confetti in the air. It just shows how right. happy she is to have won, and because they really they look at the Soul Hunters like vampires or something, you know, they really treat yeah. them like Dracula's coming. They can't stand them; they're horrified. So yeah. Oh, she she got violently angry when she heard yeah. about them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, good stuff. A, fun, a, fun, a funny thing to mention: count how many times somebody reads a newspaper in this series in every episode. It's <laughs> it's hilarious. It it just sticks out so bad now. now. You know, back then, newspapers were a thing, so you just assumed they'd be a thing two hundred mm-hmm. years in the future. Now, when it, <laughs> newspapers are all but dead, it it just kind of sticks out. It's kind of funny. They'd all have iPads or something. They'd all be walking around looking at their phones, you know, or I guess right, the, back, right. the back of their hand, you know. Actually, if they did it today, but they kept the same technology, they'd have their little things on the back, their little com links on the back of their hand, but there'd be like a holographic thing coming up and they'd be watching stuff right. over their hand. They'd be walking around with their hand up and there'd be like a thing going on, like a Tony Stark, <laughs> right. you know, holograph in front of them. So, yeah, you're right. That's a good point. And, and, and actually, they had like newspaper disposal machines where it pops out a paper copy. At which point, you're like, no, right. <laughs> that's never, right, never gonna happen. <laughs> um, all right. So here's what you had to look forward to next time, guys. Episode uh, the next few um, we've done the gathering, midnight of firing line, and Soul Hunter. So next time we will do Born to the Purple. Infection and the, I guess we could do the, this three, you think, maybe Infection and Parliament of Dreams? Parliament of Dreams has got some meat yeah. to talk about. Okay. So Absolutely. We're gonna, we'll do three more. We'll do Born to the Purple, Infection, and Parliament of Dreams. We'll probably be done in a little less than an hour and a half next time because the, the gathering, there was a lot to talk about there. So we, we ran a little bit longer than right. I thought. That's fine. So yeah, Born to the Purple, Infection, Parliament of Dreams. Those are three very interesting episodes for different reasons. Some for better, some for worse. And I'll, I'll go ahead and say now, the Parliament of Dreams is the one where I then started running around telling all my friends, you've got to see this show. It's the best thing ever. That's right, when I said right. this show is really special. It's even better than I thought originally. So, all right. Any final thoughts from you before even we sign the title, Even the titles to the episodes are epic, you know? Parliament Ooh. of Dreams. I mean, that, that right there tells you you're in for a treat. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the... Um, I have... No, go ahead. Uh, the... I, for three, I didn't mention this earlier, but for three years, 1999 through 2001, I ran the live-action role-play, the LARP, at, for, for Dragon Con, for Babylon 5. I created it, put it all together, ran it for three years, and um, the second one we did was the biggest, and it was the Parliament of Dreams. We had the Centauri role-players hosting a giant Centauri party, like on Parliament of Dreams. They hung up scarves. They had gaudy gold and purple stuff everywhere, you know, in the whole ball, in the whole ballroom. We had basically like a prom hosted <laughs> by the Centauri with the punch, the Bravari punch, you know. And we had copies of Universe Today too that we produced and, and gave out. But yeah, that that really was a great a great um, 
title, and it, it is evocative of what was what was coming up. Okay, so I was asking you. I'm sorry. Again, we've got a little bit of lag tonight, just internet issues. Um, that'll probably won't be normal. So, did you have any final thoughts about these last two episodes before we wrap up for tonight? I have no more thoughts. <laughs> we are thought out. Very good. <laughs> Well, I am too. I'm I'm good to go. So, Andy, I appreciate it. And uh, join us in a couple of weeks for our second installment. And we'll talk about episodes, I guess we'll say three, four, and five. So, um, the Babylon 5 podcast. We'll be out of here for another uh, two weeks. And we'll see you guys down the road. Thanks a bunch. All right. Take care. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.